0: Just what you've been waiting for the Movies, TV, <laughs> music, and <laughs> more. <much>. Follow, subscribe, stay <laughs> <play> up to the episode <laughs> <The> Episode's dropping <laughs> on Monday It's the mat, it's the mat, watch that It's the mat, it's the mat, watch that It's the mat, it's the mat, watch that Podcast Hey there, welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Soroski, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to wish everyone a happy Halloween. I hope everyone has fun tonight, don't get into too much trouble. Now, if you want to make the most of trick-or-treating, I have a suggestion that will double your haul. What you need to do is have two costumes, one with a mask, one without. So you want to walk around the neighborhood with the mask on first. And if any neighbors ask to see who's under the mask, just make a note because you have to skip that house in part two. And you can egg them later on. So after you get done, you change costumes and walk around without a mask. No one will be of the wiser that you've already been there. Now I know what some people are thinking, why does it matter the order? Well, if you do it the other way without the mask first, you run into the possibility of being unmasked and then you look greedy. That's an awkward moment being confronted by a neighbor. So play it safe. Round one, wear a mask. Round two, no mask. My friends and I did this maybe twice and it worked like a charm. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars, watch at your own risk. Three stars, standard fare. Four stars, worth checking out. And five stars, must see. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Resident Evil from 2002. So how'd I miss it? I knew it was based off of a video game, but one that i never played, so I wasn't really interested in seeing it. I wouldn't consider myself a gamer. I've always had video game systems, Intellivision, Atari, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, Sega Dreamcast, Playstations, but I usually stuck to sports games, Super Mario, things like that. Wasn't a big first-person shooter. Though, my absolute favorite game in the world is GoldenEye on Nintendo 64. I don't think anything could ever beat that game. It was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who helmed Event Horizon, Soldier, Alien vs. Predator, and The Three Musketeers. This would be the second movie based on a video game he directed after Mortal Kombat. The screenplay was written by Paul W.S. Anderson, The Resident Evil video game series was created by Shinji Mikami and Tokoro Fujiwara, and produced by Capcom. The movie stars Mila Jovovich as Alice. She was born in Kiev when Ukraine was a constituent republic of the Soviet Union. Her family emigrated to London when she was five years old, eventually settling in Los Angeles a few months later. Both of her parents worked for Brian De Palma and enrolled her in acting classes at the age of ten. She appeared in a few episodes on television before being cast in Return to the Blue Lagoon. She would go on to act in Dazed and Confused, Zoolander, He Got Game, and The Fifth Element. Michelle Rodriguez portrays Reyna Campo. She was born in San Antonio, Texas before moving to the Dominican Republic. At 17, she moved to New Jersey. That's quite a drop-off. She attended an open casting call for an independent film and won the role of Diana Guzman in Girlfight. She received many accolades, which helped her land parts in The Fast and the Furious, Resident Evil, and Blue Crush. Eric Mavis plays Matt Addison. He made his film debut in the independent feature Welcome to the Dollhouse, and would go on to star as Daniel Mead in Ugly Betty for 85 episodes from 2006 to 2010. Since 2013, he's been cast as Oliver O'Toole in the television movies *Sign, Sealed, Delivered on the Hallmark Movies and Mystery Channel. James Purfoy performs Spence Parks. Like many Brits, he started his career in the theater, appearing in Macbeth, The Tempest, King Lear. He also starred alongside Jude Law in Death of a Salesman. He was up for the role of James Bond, which would eventually go to Pierce Brosnan for Golden Eye. He would star as Mark Antony in Rome for two seasons, 22 episodes, from 2005 to 2007. This is something to look out for. Mila Jovovich did the majority of her own stunts, and many of the bruises and cuts seen on her are real. The movie starts off in a voiceover, which explains that the Umbrella Corporation is the largest commercial entity in the United States, responsible for computer technology, medical products, and healthcare. But the majority of its profits are earned through military technology, genetic experimentation, and viral weaponry. Unknown to the citizens of Raccoon City, beneath their streets lies the Hive, a top-secret research facility owned and operated by the Umbrella Corporation. It houses over 500 technicians, scientists, and support staff who live and work underground on classified bioweapons research. A thief breaks into the laboratory to steal the T-virus, an artificial pathogen engineered by the group which replenishes dead cells. The person takes one of the samples and throws it on the floor, leaking the contents which gets into the air vents. The Red Queen is a state-of-the-art artificial intelligence who controls the hive, and, once the toxin is released, she sealed the facility, killing everyone inside. Meanwhile, Alice wakes up on the floor of a shower. She examines a scar on her shoulder and remembers fainting, but not much else. She walks into the bedroom, and a red dress is laid out for her. She opens the dresser drawer to find an armory of guns to her surprise. She's unfamiliar with the surroundings. As she explores the mansion, she's suddenly grabbed by a man who identifies as Cop Matt Addison, before a troop of masked individuals crashes through the windows, guns toting. The group is led by James Shade. They take Alice and Matt Addison captive and prepare for entry into the Hive. They take an elevator down to the train, and while in one of the cars, they come across another individual, Spence Parks, who has no recollection. When Alice sees him, this triggers a flashback of a marriage. She takes off her wedding ring and reads the inscription, Property of the Umbrella Corporation. She demands to know what's going on, and James Shade tells her that they all work for the Umbrella Corporation, and the mansion is an emergency entrance into the Hive. Alice and Spence were assigned as security operatives to protect the property, their marriage being a cover. Their memory has probably been altered due to the gas that was released in the Hive, and can last anywhere from a couple of hours to weeks. James Shade and his team were dispatched to shut the Red Queen down, and search for any survivors. When they reach the main chamber, they unpack a device that will deliver a massive electric charge, forcing the mainframe to reboot, and take down the Red Queen's defenses. Upon the installation of the device, it shuts down the facility, unlocking all the doors and releasing a horde of zombies. Here's a quote without context You're going to have to work for your meal. Resident Evil is a decent film. I probably like it more than most because it reminds me of those 1980s canon movies. Lots of action, flashy camera work, constant movement, not always necessary, a couple of decent jump scares. The script was uneven. I did like the fact that we were kind of in the dark in the beginning, not really sure what was going on, but then they had a scene that was just pure plot exposition, laid out exactly what was going on. And I've had a habit in the past of doing this, but it's kind of amateur writing. You always want the exposition to be peppered throughout the script. You don't really want to say, all right, here it is. Although in The Great Muppet Caper, when Miss Piggy asks, why are you telling me all this? Lady Holiday responds, it's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere. So the special effects were pretty good. There were a couple of obvious things that stand out, looked a little dated, but for the most part, it did look like an expensive film. So I can't make comparisons to the actual video game and if it stayed true to the spirit, but as a straightforward popcorn action flick, yeah, it's alright. Now for a little trivial trivia. Actress Mila Jovovich and director Paul W.S. Anderson started dating shortly after the film wrapped and married in August 2009. The cinematography was captured by David Johnson, whose filmography includes episodes of Blindspot, Deception, and Yellowstone. It was edited by Alexander Berner, who worked on Cloud Atlantis, Jupiter Ascending, and A Hologram for the King. The score was co-composed by Marco Beltrami, who wrote the music for Scream, Snowpiercer, Red Eye, World War Z, and was nominated for Best Achievement in Written Music for Motion Pictures, Original Score for 310 to Yuma, and The Hurt Locker. And shock rocker Marilyn Manson, who contributed songs to The Matrix, Spawn, Queen of the Damned, and Strangeland. The soundtrack featured songs by Nine Inch Nails, Frontline Assembly, Fear Factor, and Cold Chamber. The music was great. It was fairly common to use alternative rock bands in these action packed science fiction movies, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s. The runtime is 1 hour 40 minutes. It had a budget of 33 million and grossed 103 million at the box office. It spawned five sequels Apocalypse, Extinction, Afterlife, Retribution, and The Final Chapter. There was an animated miniseries called Infinite Darkness, released in 2021 and a television series, Resident Evil, which is unrelated to the movies. There's a reboot in the works, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. I give it 3 out of 5 stars. I've seen worse video game adaptations, but I've also seen plenty better. If you've seen Resident Evil and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called, Matt Watch That Playback. Otters are my favorite non-household pet animals. I'm not sure why. It might have to do with the Jim Henson Christmas special, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, or it might have to do with the hundreds of otter videos I've watched in a YouTube wormhole. They're just so cute! And the way they eat food is hilarious. The sounds that come out of them is incredible. So a couple of otter facts for you. Most of the sea otters in the world can be found in coastal Alaska. When otters rest, they do it in groups. You see, when they sleep, they do it floating on their backs. And they hold each other's paws so that they don't get swept away as they sleep. Sea otters consume about 20 to 25% of their body weight each day. They have a loose patch of skin under their armpits, which they use for storage. It's like a pocket. And what do they store? Typically, a rock. You see, they eat a lot of marine life that has shells, so they use the rock as a hammer or anvil to crack through those shells. And they'll typically hold on to the same rock for their entire life. So this brings me to my favorite videos. One of Otter's favorite pastimes is juggling rocks. No one's really sure why they do it, but I'm glad they do because it's really fun to watch. So I'm going to post a couple of videos of otters juggling rocks, and they'll all be available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about... Boris Karloff, The Man Behind the Monster. Directed by Thomas Hamilton, who co wrote the screenplay with Ron McCloskey, this documentary explores the life and legacy of Boris Karloff, best known for his roles as the monster in Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein, Imhotep in The Mummy, Yelmar Posig in The Black Cat, Dr. Scarabus in The Raven, and the narrator of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He was born in Surrey, England, to parents of Indian descent. They passed away when he was young and he was raised by his siblings. He dropped out of college and traveled to Canada, where he worked odd jobs until he found the theater. He would spend a few years touring with different companies before landing in Hollywood, and the rest, as they say, is history. It features interviews with Guillermo del Toro, Ron Perlman, Stephanie Powers, Leonard Maltin, John Landis, Joe Dante, and Roger Corman. Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster, is currently streaming on Shudder. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to matsaroski.com for the latest news and updates and come back next time for the reviews, rants and randomness. So I'm going to post a couple of videos of otters juggling jo- juggling jocks. Yep, jock straps.